Welcome to Life Class on a Wednesday. We are in for a great time in the presence of the Lord. I am so glad you decided to be part of tonight's Life Class. Hallelujah. You are going to be blessed. You are not going to remain the same. A great word is coming your way in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. It's the second installment in our prayer school, and it's a very deep, mature, relevant teaching that I'm bringing your way tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Our, our text is taken from the book of James, the book of James and chapter 4. James chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 3. That's the pilot text that we're going to use. Let's read it. It says, for where, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lost and do not have. You murder, covet, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your pleasures. Wow. It says that you do not have, first, because you do not ask, then even when you do ask, you still don't receive because you are asking amiss to spend it upon your pleasures. Wow, wow, wow. James, in these three verses, the Apostle James gives us some reasons for unanswered prayers, for why our prayers sometimes go unanswered. The first reason is you fail to ask. It says you ask not. So in other words, if you don't ask, you are not going to receive. Remember Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock on the door and the door will be opened unto you. So he's saying that if you don't ask, you're not going to receive. So the first reason for unanswered prayers is no prayer, is the fact that you didn't pray, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So the first base, the first thing you need to do is at least commit to pray. Another reason that James highlights for unanswered prayer in this, in this, in this text is the presence of conflict and strife in our lives. The presence of conflict and strife, the presence of conflict and strife in our relationships. So when you have conflict and strife in your relationships, it can have a negative impact on your prayer life. This is what he's trying to get us to understand, trying to get us to see. In the book of Mark, chapter 11, from verse 24 to 25, we read the instruction, and it is also in other places of, of, of the scripture, that if you stand praying, you must forgive if you have ought against another. In fact, another scripture says that if you are about to make present your offering of prayer, and you remember that you have ought against someone, drop your offering, don't present it yet. Go and sort out whatever the issue is with that person before you come back to make your offering offering. So it starts to let you know that when there is strife, when there is uh, conflict in your relationships, it can impact your prayer life. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, listen to this. This is powerful. It says, likewise ye husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel as being heirs of together of the grace of life. But listen to the last statement that your prayers 
be not hindered. So again, he's suggesting here that if your relationship with your wife is strained, if you are not dwelling in understanding in unity, it can cause your prayers to be hindered. So it agrees with James that the presence of strife and conflict in your relationships can have a negative impact on your prayer life. A third reason for unanswered prayers, according to James in this text, is when the motive behind your prayer is wrong. When the motive behind your prayers are wrong, then you won't get the answer to the prayer that you want. He says that well, you, you only pray um, to fulfill your own lusts and your own desires. In other words, you are driven by self-centeredness. So your prayers are extremely self-centered. Last week, we learned that prayer is not really about getting what you want. Prayer is about getting what God wants. Oh, do you hear me what I'm saying? Prayer is not really a way to get what you will. It is a way to get what God wills. It's a way to get God's will done, which is the very best. The fourth reason for unanswered prayer in this our pilot text is not, it is not that we are not asking. We are asking. It is not that we, we have conflict in our lives. We eliminated conflict. It's not that our motives are wrong. We've gotten our motives aligned with the will of God. But simply, listen, because we are asking amiss. We are asking amiss. What does it mean, mean to ask ask amiss? What does it mean to ask amiss? The word amiss means not quite right, inappropriately, or out of place, wrongly. Synonyms for amiss include wrong, a weary, faulty, out of order, defective, flawed, unsatisfactory, incorrect, not right, inappropriate, improper. The word amiss is actually a Middle English word that literally means missing the mark. So when James says, James says that we ask amiss, he's saying that we are missing the mark in the place of prayer. We are praying unintelligently. Oh my. He's telling us that we, 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 to pray amiss is to pray either for the wrong thing in the wrong way, and sometimes praying amiss, listen to me, is even praying for the right thing, but praying for that right thing in the wrong way. You are praying for the right thing. It's not that your request is illegitimate. It's a legitimate request, but you are praying for it in the wrong way. We, you are a new covenant saint, but you are praying like an old covenant patriarch. You are new covenant, new testament saint, but you are praying like an old covenant patriarch. You see, listen to me. Prayer is far more legal than many of us know. It is so much more a, a legal matter spiritually than many of us are even aware. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. You know, when the scripture says, talks about intercession, a lot of us uh, uh, think of prayer and 
speaking in tongues and walking up and down and all of that. And that's not incorrect, but it's incomplete. Because when you really go to study the word intercession, it is actually a legal term. It's standing in the gap. It's really about presenting a case. It's also when uh, sometimes we misunderstand when we talk about pleading the blood of Jesus and people only see the definition of pleading in the light of begging um, for something. But no, the word plead is also a legal term, like a lawyer pleading his case, presenting his case, presenting his facts and his reasons and his premise to the judge. You hear me what I'm saying? So you start to see that prayer is far more legal than we are often aware. Remember that our definition of prayer is that prayer is legal license for divine intervention. It is license for divine intervention. So our prayers become the legal premise from, through which God can intervene in the affairs of man. All right, because God said, let us let man have dominion. So God delegated both the responsibility and the authority for the earth to man. And then it is only through prayer that we are able to invite God into the situations once again. Hallelujah. So prayer is very legal. And from the text that we used as pilot last week Sunday, we understand that God is eager. He's ready to answer our requests speedily, but he needs us to get this prayer thing right. He needs us to prepare to present the proper legal papers, if you like, <laughs> hallelujah, for him to be able to come in and intervene. So he bears long with us. He's ready to move fast, in our situations and circumstances, but he bears long with us for us to get this prayer thing right. So we've got to learn how to pray in and under the new covenant. We have got to learn how to pray in and under the new covenant. And tonight's teaching is how to pray in the new covenant. So it's still not too late for you to invite somebody else to join you right now because too many saints are hitting their heads on the wall and not getting the answers that they desire to get simply because they haven't learned how to pray in the new covenant. They are pray they are new covenant saints but praying in an old covenant way. Let's pray. Mighty Father, I ask for your help this evening that you will cause my tongue to be as the pen of the right, ready writer that I may inscribe upon the hearts of, of the men and women here your living truth. And those that are watching live and those that might watch later, let them receive great illumination indeed. Let, the, the, let, the, let, let, let great light show them how to pray. Help me, O oh God, to rightly divide your word and do no injustice to it in the name of Jesus. Deliver us from age-old shackles that, has, that have hindered our prayer lives in the mighty name of Jesus. We do pray. And the people said a loud amen or a hallelujah type an amen on whatever platform you are and let me know that you are here please if you have access to any of the chat um, 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 um platforms feel free to engage to be fully immersed in the course of this teaching and in the course of um, our interactions hallelujah invite others to join us well 
we, we, we want to deal with how to pray in the new covenant. How to pray in the new covenant. We therefore have to understand where does the new covenant start and where does the old covenant end. And for us to be able to grasp that and to understand where the old covenant ends and the new covenant starts, we have to first of all look at an interesting text. In the word of God, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to study to avoid shame. Study to show yourself approved, the workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to study to avoid shame and to display we need to study to display our approval by God. You've already been approved by God, but if you don't study, you will not be able to display that approval to the word. How do you do this? By rightly dividing the word of truth. We've got to get the division right. Type in the feed to somebody right now and say, you've got to get the division right. Tell somebody else, divide it right. We've got to divide the, the word of God right. The scripture says that in the last days, men will not be able to endure sound doctrine. The sound dividing, the sound tutelage of God's word. That devil is a liar. We are not of that company. When it starts to tell you about right dividing the word of God, it lets you know that therefore there is a division. There is a dividing point in the word of God. There is a division between the old and the new. There is a division between the old and the new. And the question is, where is that division? Now, typically, when you open your Bibles, you would say that the division is between Malachi and Matthew. That everything from the last chapter in Malachi um, backwards or forwards is the Old Testament. And everything from Matthew chapter 1 to Revelations is the New Testament. Yes, literally, that is accurate. But spiritually, when we are talking not about just Testament, but about covenant, the actual division for the old and the new covenant is not between Malachi and Matthew. It is at the cross of Jesus. It is at the cross of Jesus. It is the cross of Jesus that divides the old covenant from the new covenant because the cross of Jesus is when the new covenant is enacted. So Jesus's cross is the bridge between the old and the new. The cross is the center of the Bible. Oh, hallelujah. The cross is the center of Christendom. We're about to enter resurrection weekend, Easter weekend, and this is where we start to celebrate the most significant act of Christ that is the very foundation and premise for our faith, our deliverance, our all. The cross is the center of the Bible. It is the center of Christendom. The cross of Jesus is the game changer. Woo! Hallelujah. The old ended at the cross and the new was birthed at the cross. Did you hear me what I said? I said the old ended at the cross uh, and the new 
commenced after the cross. Hallelujah. The new was birthed by the cross. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It was on the cross, John chapter 19 and verse 30, that it says that Jesus, uh, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost or he gave up his spirit. It was at the cross that he did this. And what did he say? What were his last words before he gave up the ghost, before he died? He, his last words were, it is finished. It is finished. What did he mean by this? He meant he, has com he had completed all that needed to be completed. Ah, la, la, la. He was saying it is finished. I've done everything that needs to be done. The price is paid. It's entire. It's complete. It's total. This is the true dividing point of scripture. So everything changed from this point. And this changed the way that we are meant to pray. After Jesus paid the price and died upon the cross, Hallelujah. Now we pray from the finished work. To pray in the new covenant is to pray from the premise of the finished work, from the premise of it is finished. Hallelujah. Hey, this is significant for you to understand. Therefore, you start to understand that the majority of prayers you see before the cross are actually Old Testament prayers and it is only after the cross that we embark on or we see new testament new covenant prayers so even in studying listen to me closely this is not blasphemy this is just good teaching so even in studying jesus's words and teaching on prayer uh, we as written in the bible we must directly discern which of those principles and teachings and all of that applies to the old covenant and which of them refer to the new covenant because the majority of jesus's recorded prayers in the synoptic gospels that's matthew mark luke and john were under the old covenant because jesus had not yet died and risen from the dead therefore enacting the new covenant so most of what you see in, the, in of Jesus's um, teaching and prayers before the cross are actually under the old covenant. But Jesus is the bridge between the old and the new. So though he was still living and walking under the old covenant, he was able to draw from the new from time to time, even though the new had not legally been enacted. This will make a bit of sense, more sense as we go down in this teaching. And remember, I always charge you, I want you to be Berean Christians who go back to check the word of God, to sit with the word of God and to find out whether these things that I am saying and teaching to you are indeed accurate. So we have to pay close attention to what Jesus said and did about prayer before his death and resurrection and with discerning eyes know how to interpret them so that we know what was fully Old Testament or Old Covenant and what was New Covenant. Hallelujah. So it is not that the Old covenant or the old testament if you like is to be done away with and forgotten and we should never read anything in the old testament or old covenant again no that devil is a liar 
because we, we, we are to still study those things. But now we study them through a New Testament prism. We study them through the cross. We look at them through the cross. We reinterpret them through the cross. For example, the famed Lord's Prayer that he taught his disciples, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so on and so forth, is actually an old covenant prayer. It was a prayer that was taught under the old covenant. The new covenant had not yet been enacted, hallelujah. So do we discard that prayer? No. We can still pray that prayer, but now we pray it very differently from the way it was recorded, because now we pray it from the premise of the finished work. We pray it from the premise of the cross. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Uh, let me take just one example out of that prayer. Maybe we'll have time to, to, to delve deep, more deeply in that prayer. For example, when it says that in that prayer, it says, that, for, um, Oh Lord, forgive us as we forgive our, um, our debtors. You know, the, the implication or the suggestion there is that we are not yet forgiven, and it is our forgiving our debtors that allows God to forgive us. That's not accurate under the new covenant. Under the new covenant, we are already forgiven. Jesus has already forgiven us. So if I'm going to pray that prayer under the new covenant, it's going to be, uh, Lord, help me to walk in forgiveness towards everyone around me as you have already forgiven me. Oh my, I know I'm messing with some people's religion right now. I'm hitting home, but these things are the truth. And as you study and as you become more established in the new covenant, the finished work of Christ Jesus, you all of a sudden start to make sense to you and say, yes, indeed, this is the truth. Truth. Okay. Let us really delve into the foundation of new covenant prayer and build up from there. Okay. In the book of Hebrews and uh, chapter 10 from 11 to 13, listen to what it says. It says, and every priest, Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 11 to verse 13, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Hallelujah. He said that after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, there was no, not going to be any need for any more sacrifice after his sacrifice. His sacrifice for sin was once and for all. His sacrifice was complete. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, it says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So it was once and for all. It was complete. It is finished. His sacrifice was complete. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen and amen. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? We are already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The sacrifice is complete. It's a complete job. This is the premise from where I start to pray. First, from an understanding of the complete job, already blessed. The Christian life actually starts from the finished work of Christ. 
Your true Christian life starts from the finished work of Christ. You've got to be rooted and grounded in that understanding that he has completed the job. And everything I'm doing afterwards is it's emanating, is, is launched out of the finished work. So we start from a seated position before walking and standing. You understand that I've taught you that before. When you read the book of Ephesians, the first two chapters is about being seated. The next two chapters is about walking. The last chapter is about standing. The Where do we start? By being seated, seated in the finished work, understanding what has already been done for us. Hallelujah. So to pray effectively, to pray effectively in the new covenant, we need to understand, we need to embrace the finished work of Christ. I'm bringing me to another very key point. We need to understand the tenses of God. The tenses of God, okay? Let me help you. The tenses of God. Listen to what God says, Christ says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He talks about he is he who is, who was, and who is to come. Here we see an introduction to the tenses of God. Our God is, yet he was, and he is to come. So our God exists in the three tenses. He is, he was, and he is to come. He exists in the past, the present, and the future. The tenses of God. Even we too exist in the three tenses. <laughs> we are saved now, but we were saved then, and we are being saved, and we will be saved. Woo, hallelujah, in the final day. I hope you get me what I'm saying. We are saved now, yet we are being saved, and we will be saved in the ultimate day, in the ultimate resurrection. Okay, let me give you a little bit more. You have to understand the tenses of God. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, it says, For I am persuaded, this is Paul writing, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Verse 39 goes on to say, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He again introduces various tenses when he says, nor things present, nor things to come, nor things present, nor things to come. By saying this, he was acknowledging the process of time. He was acknowledging the tenses of God. For you to effectively pray in the new covenant, you need to understand the tenses of God. You need to know what is already done, what is being done, and what is to be done. Did you get that? You have to understand what is already done, what is being done, and what is to come. For example, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that we quoted earlier, he says that, uh, uh, thanks be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. This is past tense. He did not say who will bless us. He says, 
who has blessed us. So we are already blessed. It is past tense. Ooh, glory to God. So we must know what is past tense so we do not find ourselves seeking for what we already have. You must know what you already have so you are not seeking for what you already have. You must know what is already done so you are not seeking for what is already done. You must know what is past tense so that you don't seek for what you already have. We must know what is present tense, what is happening right now, so we don't postpone it into the future when it is something that is meant to be happening right now. We must also know what is future tense, what is to come, so that we don't lose hope that our salvation has already passed. Do you get me what I'm saying? So don't get it mixed up. As you are studying the word of God, which is actually the, your, your material for prayer, you must seek to understand what is already done, what is being done, what is to be done. Paul, the apostle, understood with great clarity the tenses of God. We too must understand the tenses of God in prayer so that we can be more accurate in our prayers and understand the premise for every request. New covenant prayer is praying from the finished work. New covenant prayer is praying for the finished work. Okay, I'm going to go a bit further and a bit deeper. I hope you are getting this. It's good teaching. Hallelujah. Also, to effectively pray in the new covenant, we must understand that we are, listen, we are in two locations at the same time. We must understand the dichotomy between the heavens and the earth. Oh, Lord Jesus. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 6, amen, it says, And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So now we are actually seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and dominions, uh, all power and authority. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Yet we have to walk upon the earth. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but we are walking upon the earth. So this is the dichotomy. We are in two locations at the same time. Spiritually seated with, with, with Christ in heavenly places, uh, yet physically, soulishly walking upon the earth. Even the, the verse that we read or, or in, before in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings where? In heavenly places. So we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but we have to walk on the earth. Hallelujah. Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 13, listen to what it says in Colossians 1.13. It says, he who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Immediately you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are translated from darkness into light, from earth to heaven, but yet you still live in the earth. The, the, the challenge many times is that even though we are in a new kingdom, we are still trying to live in that new kingdom by the dictates and the culture of the kingdom that we were delivered from. That devil is a liar. 
for some of us that relocated into the United Kingdom, we are still struggling to adjust to the laws and the culture of the new kingdom in which we now live. I don't know about you, some of us still struggling with this afternoon tea culture. <laughs> this dichotomy and conflict is, is the challenge of every believer. Every believer has to live with this challenge of being seated in heavenly places while walking on the earth. This creates a tension and even a contradiction. Why? Because in heaven, all things are already done and are perfected, but on the earth, not so. I'm already blessed with all spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but I still encounter imperfections, lack and need here on the earth below. So I have this challenge. I'm soon going to show you how New Covenant fits into this challenge of the finished work is a heavenly reality, but sometimes in my earthly experience, it doesn't look that finished. Hey, Jesus, help me. Listen to the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled where? In heaven. Your word is settled in heaven. I, I know I've heard the psalmist saying that his word is settled on the earth. But as I checked the scripture, I didn't see anywhere where it said that his word is already settled on the earth. It only said that his word is forever settled where? In heaven heaven, not yet on the earth. It is our job to settle the word of God that is already settled in heaven. It is now our job to settle it on the earth. Woo! Glory to God. It's our job to settle it on, on the earth. How do we do this? Through prayer. Through prayer, we bring what has already been settled in heaven to bear upon the earth. Through prayer, I bring what is already done in heaven into manifestation on the earth. This is also where spiritual warfare, even in the new covenant, covenant comes into play. Because the question should have arisen that if it's already a finished work, if Jesus has done it all, then what is the, where's the place for spiritual warfare. It's already done. It's already finished. The devil is already defeated. Glory. Hallelujah. Yes, indeed. That's a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality. Now you have to bring that spiritual truth and reality and enforce it even upon the earth. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. Jesus is Lord. I'll teach a little bit more on spiritual warfare next week, Wednesday. I ain't going to go there tonight. It, 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 Hallelujah. Listen to, to Jesus. I, I hope this is blessing you. I hope you're getting something out of this. Listen to Jesus. Uh, in response to Peter's correct declaration, when Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Then Peter correctly answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Hallelujah. Then we read from verse 17 of Matthew and chapter 16. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjuna, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will also say to you that you are Peter now, and on this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
and I will give you, listen to Jesus, he says, I will give you the keys, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus says that he would give us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Notice the tense. He says, I will give you. In other words, I can't give you now, but I am going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He put it in future tense. And why did he put it in future tense? Because he had not yet died nor risen from the dead. So he did not yet have all the keys to hand over to us. But now, hallelujah, that was then, this is now. But now Jesus has already died. He has already risen from the dead and he has given us, hallelujah, he has given you and me, every believer in Christ Jesus, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We now have the keys. The keys have been given to us. Once Jesus said, go ye into all the worlds, he delegated the authority, the keys to us. And this is what he was talking about in the book of Matthew 16. He was telling us, hallelujah, that he would give us the keys, which keys we now have. Now, note in that Matthew chapter 16, he speaks about the keys of the kingdom. When he speaks about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, in the very same breath, he talks about binding and loosing, indicating that there is a connection between the keys of the kingdom of heaven and binding and loosing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Listen, brethren, in New Covenant prayer, God has given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven to unlock heaven on the earth. Glory to God. He's giving you and I the keys to unlock heaven on the earth. Hallelujah. We are meant to be bringing heaven down to earth through new covenant, intelligent, authoritative prayer. Oh my goodness. Hey, he says, bind anything and everything standing in the way of heaven on the earth, standing in the way of the finished work. Anything and everything standing in the way of the finished work, uh, bind, bind anything and everything standing in the way of the way, finished work, uh, uh, standing in the way of the finished work manifesting upon the earth and then loose heaven on earth. Hallelujah. Abashoko, thank you, Lord Jesus. I hope you're getting it. I hope you're getting it. Uh, and once he starts talking about binding and loosing, what he's telling us, did you notice what he said? He said that, and whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Did you see that? He didn't say whatsoever thing you bind in heaven will be loosed on earth, whatsoever things you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. He puts the control center on the earth with you and with me. He says, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Oh, Lord Jesus. Did you get that? The control center is with you, is with me. Somebody shout hallelujah. I've got the authority. Whatever thing I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever thing I loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is why New Covenant praying, praying under the New Covenant, 
often is very authoritative. Hallelujah. This is why, you know, somebody was asking me the other day that I like the way you pray. You're always uh, decreeing and declaring and proclaiming and pronouncing and throwing out the authority. Where do you get this audacity? Is it an African thing? No, it's not an African thing. It's a kingdom thing. When you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, when you understand that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, when you understand that you have already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, when you understand that the control center is now with you, when you understand that the keys of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, and whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, then you will pray with great authority and with great audacity. You will decree and you will declare and you will proclaim and you will announce and you will insist you will find yourself naturally always praying from a position of authority hallelujah hallelujah amen and amen to effectively pray in the new covenant under the new covenant you have to understand these things so in praying in the new covenant what i do is that i'm opening up the bible i'm catching revelations in god's word of his truth through the prism of the cross and as i'm seen what is already done, what is being done, what is to be done, I'm able to take those truths into the place of prayer and insist, hallelujah, upon their performance in my here and my now. Hallelujah. And if we are to really effectively pray in the new covenant, we should study the Pauline prayers. We should study the Pauline prayers, the prayers that Paul prayed for the church particularly. We should study them and we should pray the Pauline prayers because Paul particularly gave us multiple examples of new covenant praying. Paul was fully operating because he was born into the new covenant. Hallelujah. He was fully operating in and under the new covenant. So we do well to study and pray his prayers. We can look at his prayers for the efficient church, the Colossian thought, the church, the Thessalonian church, uh, the Philippian church, on and on. And you start to see how new covenant prayer is really meant to be, what it's meant to sound like. And when you study the Pauline prayers, you're going to notice two things, that the majority of Paul's prayers were twofold. Thanksgiving for what was already done and prayers for revelation to know what was already done. That is new covenant prayer. New covenant prayer is more thank you, Lord, and cause me to know, give me revelation, help me to see what is already done. That's, that is the larger majority of new covenant prayer. And it is on prom, upon the premise of the knowledge of what is already done that you now simply say, well, if it's already done, then these other things have to come into conformity with what the word of God says. Amen and amen 
and amen. That's new covenant prayer. That's the way we pray now. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I'm ending by giving you assignment. I want you before next week, Wednesday, to find time out to go and look at the Pauline prayers, his prayer to the Ephesian church, his prayer to the for the Colossian church, and, and so on and so forth. And look at the context. Look at the things that he prayed. He was thanking God for what Christ had already done. And then he was praying that we'll be full of the knowledge of the will of God. He was praying that we might know the hope of our calling, the, the riches of the glories and inheritance towards the saints and the greatness of his power towards us who believe. Come on. these are that, That's new covenant praying right there, praying from the premise of the finished work. That's how we are to pray. Next week, we're going to deal with no more delay in prayer, spiritual warfare. You simply do not want to miss that. And then the last Wednesday of this month is going to be interactive question and answer. So then you can bring in all of your questions, any questions whatsoever you have about prayer, maybe even real life scenarios, maybe even things. I have this challenge. How should I pray about this challenge um, under the new covenant uh, in the mighty name of Jesus? So you don't want to miss that also. I trust you've been blessed by this teaching tonight. Now I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened indeed, that you might know the hope of a calling, that you might rightly divide the word of truth, that you might be able to uh, pray not as an Old Testament patriarch, but now as a new covenant saint who knows their rights in Christ, their authority, and has grasped and accepted the finished work of Christ in the mighty name of Jesus. So I'm speaking about your situations and your circumstances now that are contrary to the will of God and contrary to the picture of heaven. From my position of authority in Christ Jesus, I speak to those situations and circumstances. I decree and declare they, they, they now realign themselves and become in order and in conformity with heaven, with the will of God. I decree and declare every crooked path is made straight and every rough place Place is made smooth in the name of Jesus and the glory of the Lord is unveiled in your life, in your situation, in the name of Jesus. I, I pray that now as you learn how to pray about those things from a new covenant premise, your answer is speedily delivered in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There is no God like unto you. Amen and amen. All right. If you are out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity. This is your time. Please repeat these words of prayer after me. We are ready to receive you in the body of Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid for me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and I confess with my lips and therefore I am born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, glory. If you prayed that prayer, you are indeed saved and we are so excited and elated to receive you into the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Our God is 
good. Amen. So for, for you to grow in the Lord, we want you to contact us, direct message us on any of our social media platforms, visit our web website, follow the pathway there, or send us an email in the church office, and we will get beside you to help you to grow in the Lord, to help you to move from level to level, from glory to glory, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I trust that you have been blessed tonight, that you've got something out of this word. This is a teaching loaded. It's New Testament teaching. You're probably going to have to hear it again and again. Open your Bibles, check the references, check out the reference, references, cross-reference it, and make sure you are rooted and grounded in the present truth. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to the life class tonight. You are blessed. You are highly favored. All things are working together for your good. Let's share the grace in fellowship and bring this service to a close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercies shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. And amen. God bless you.